Everybody, welcome to Random Trek Review, the podcast where we analyze, discuss, and review a randomly selected Star Trek film. My name is Matt, and my good friend Andrew is across the table as we co-host the exciting, action-packed second part of our review of Star Trek Nemesis here on RTR. Andrew, how are you doing? Well, I have to say, you know, we've been sitting here for two weeks talking about it off-air, and uh, my tux is getting a little wrinkled. Uh, my shoes a little scuffed. My top hat has a little crease in it. But uh, you know what? I'm glad the two weeks have elapsed because uh, now we can get into the uh, thrilling climax of Star Trek Nemesis. I didn't realize this was a formal affair, but yeah. oh well. It's it's hey man, we're onto the silver screens. Like for TV, you can wear your track <laughs> pants and your uh, t-shirt, but uh, you know when we do the movies, you got to get dolled up. You got to uh, get the dicky bow out of the closet. I'll remember that for next time. I'll, I'll go rent myself a nice, nice tuxedo and uh, fit the part. Andrew is going to uh, start us off by giving us a synopsis of the second half, which is what we're going to be talking about this week. So, Andrew, take it away. All right. When we last left Captain Picard and Lieutenant Commander Data, they were breaking out of Shinzon's scimitar in a stolen shuttle and exposing its perfect cloak to the crew of the Enterprise. It has become all too apparent to the crew uh, what basically the audience had figured out 45 minutes ago, and that's that the Shinzon is probably evil, and the giant-looking, evil-looking ship built by a bunch of evil monsters is actually probably evil too. Um, their plan is to attack the Federation with the banned Thalion radiation superweapon. The fate of all life on Earth is at stake, and we have definitely never seen that before in Star Trek or in any other movies. The Enterprise races back to warn Starfleet, but only to get intercepted by Shinzon in the Basin Rift, a region of space that conveniently blocks subspace communication. Fortunately for Picard and the crew, the Romulans have left the sidelines, and they've sent two Romulan warbirds to intercept the Scimitar. Remember the warbirds that were so feared and so powerful back in the next generation in Deep Space Nine? Yeah, well, they pretty much get smoke-showed immediately by Shinzon and his Scimitar in about two seconds. Um, out of options and out of ideas, both plot-wise and movie-wise, the decision to ram the Scimitar is Picard's last-ditch effort to stop him. With all the primary weapons destroyed, Picard decides that he needs to go movie-action-star version Picard and goes to the Scimitar to face the clone one-on-one, mano-a-mano. Picard wins the fight by impaling Shinzon with a giant spike, but it's too late to stop the Thalian weapon from exploding. He decides to sacrifice himself by blowing up the ship, only to have Data beam him back at the very last second and does the deed himself. With that, one of the most beloved Star Trek slash sci-fi characters of all times is dead. Back on the Enterprise, Picard and friends cheers Data, and what's supposed to have the same way to Spock's death back in the Wrath of Khan, it doesn't. Riker gets his own ship, and B4 shows promise that his older brother Data may live on inside of him as credits roll. All right, so uh, there you have it. There's our quick synopsis. So we're just going to continue on where we left off with some uh, some more plot points. And um, the first one we're going to go after here is um, just before the big prison break, the Romulans, I guess, were 
scheming all along and B4 was like planted on the Enterprise and his whole purpose was to like gather information. And so they uh, they beam him aboard the, the scimitar, only it's not B4, it's Data, who conveniently right. was able to figure out what they were planning and he swapped places with them and then there's the, the big prison break. Yeah, you know, and the thing about that is, is that it doesn't make sense on a couple of levels. Like you mentioned that Data, how does he know that they're going to beam B4 back as well? How do they not beam the correct person back? Like just because he's wearing different clothes doesn't necessarily mean that they would be that easily tricked. Like what was Data's plan originally to kind of infiltrate and and to break out with it? Like it's so short-sighted, it just kind of seems like... Maybe they were writing on the fly or just kind of writing as they go. Because when they do the big reveal that it's data, it doesn't really make sense, even on the first time viewing. Well, is you know, it, it just sort of, it makes the Romulans look really dumb. Because they beamed the wrong android. Well, I mean, not when, the Romulans, the Remans. Well, well, yeah. But, I mean, wouldn't you think they would have some sort of, like, fail-safe way to know which one is which? Because, obviously, if their plan is to plant this B4 on the Enterprise... They need to be able to tell them apart. Right. I guess there's kind of that whole problem with the in, the entire B4 arc where what if it wasn't the Enterprise that went and picked up B4? What if they had sent B4 back to uh, Starfleet to be worked on rather than working on him there? What if they had never plugged him in? What if they had never made him privy to the plans and the inner workings of the Enterprise? There's a lot of things that necessarily are pointless in a plan like that they've set up, right? Well, the whole B4 thing just doesn't make sense because there's a lot of things that can go very wrong with that. Now, let's uh, just talk a bit about the prison break when Data, like, breaks them out and they there's the whole firefight in the corridor. They end up in the shuttle bay. They end up in that weird scorpion shuttle thing and, like, flying through the corridors. Like, was that just pure excessiveness? I mean, I get that they need to do an action scene because it's the movie Star Trek and not the TV show Star Trek. So I get to that part of it. Um, and I think that in Enterprise and some of the, the later Star Trek shows that we've gotten, they sometimes kind of think that we have to have this stuff all the time to make Star Trek work, which I don't necessarily agree with. When this was happening, I have a vivid memory of... Because I didn't really remember how they got away. And then when they started kind of loading up the shuttle and doing the the Finn and Poe breakout from uh, Force Awakens, I was thinking, oh no, like this isn't what they're going to do. And it was even worse than I'd remembered because it's not like they just kind of blast out the shuttle doors or, you know, blast out of wherever. They actually drive it down the hallways and they're making like turns and they're shooting people. And then they go to kind of that original room where they meet Shins on the first time and they like blast through that big skylight, which apparently um, has no shields or protection of any sort. So they blast through <laughs> that and it ruins the perfect cloak. I thought it was very excessive, even like for a movie. Like, why are they flying through the corridor, like shooting at Remans? Like, why couldn't they have just like blasted through the shuttle bay door? So we sort of move on to this uh, this scene on Romulus, where the Romulans are getting all impatient with with Shinzon because I guess he like promised them all this glory and cool things, and he was, you know, constantly putting them off because he was sort of busy dealing with Picard. And so, um, you know, they're getting impatient and they start to, you know, do some classic Romulan double crossing and start thinking like, oh, maybe this guy's not worth our time. So we're just going to stab him in the back. 
Did you kind of think that maybe at some point later on the Romulans would finally get off their butts and actually get involved in this and maybe sort of foreshadow a bit to when they they intervene in the big battle later on? I think I mentioned it last time and it's just becoming every minute that passes in this movie. My feeling is that this should just been about the Romulans. The Romulans are a great species which were not overused in any of the series uh, when they did show up in Next Generation, I know that a lot of those kind of like seasons two through five, uh, it was kind of the, you know, the villain of the week. But we never did kind of just let the hair down and dig into a Romulan story. We got lots of good ones, but just kind of in little pieces, uh, you know, just kind of sugar and spice. And I really could have went for a nice full course meal. So every second of this movie, I'm just thinking oh, we should be doing Romulans. Like, we should be doing Romulans correctly. Uh, these Riemann guys and Shinzon the clone, I could care less about. I'm just dying for the Romulans to show up. And they do, but it's lackluster. We'll get that in a second. Yeah, I mean, this, to me, this was a big opportunity to really, as you say, dig deep into the Romulans. And, and we didn't really get a whole lot of it during the series, even though they, they turn up. A lot. Seems like every other episode in season three, but I think it really it's only maybe five or six, but still. And yeah, like this is a perfect opportunity. We got a movie, we got a big screen, we got a budget. You know, why not just go full Romulan with this? Um, why bring the Remans in? Why invent this whole new, you know, alien race to throw into the mix when you got a perfectly good one that, you know, you could probably do something with? Because I don't think that the Romulans work as a big, over-the-top action movie. I think that's good for the Borg. I think that's good for the Klingon. And we've seen those movies. But I think for the Romulans, it would have to be more of kind of a cloak and dagger. More of a paranoid thriller where you don't really know who to trust. And what their motives are. And it would kind of have to be really plot-heavy. And really uh, meandering in terms of... Uh, following the plot and I feel like at this year at this time they were like give Jean-Luc Picard a two-handed phaser rifle which I never liked and just have him go in and he's gonna kick ass and he's gonna be a, a big action star and I really badly want that Romulan movie that I just described yeah. I feel like that's a better movie yeah give us like a political thriller that's which would be perfect for Romulans I mean why, why wouldn't they do that? I mean, well, I they would have 10 years later, right? Around, uh, maybe not, though, because they ended up doing the J.J. Trek, which was even more action. So 10 years I just, earlier. Yeah. <laughs> right? So that's the problem. I just, I don't think that, I don't think they have the guts to do it, which is a shame because I, personally, and I don't know where you stand, but I think a lot of the best Star Trek movies are the ones that are very low on action. Well, the ones that are low on action tend to be higher on plot, therefore much more interesting. Right. Like, the only one I would probably lean towards being an action Star Trek movie that I like is probably First Contact. But almost all my other favorites are, like, not action at all. Voyage Home, Wrath of Khan, Motion Picture. They're all, all kind of very heavy in plot and very kind of slow moving. Yeah, it's, that tends to uh, be my opinion as well. Um, now, speaking of moving slowly, uh, Shinzon is slowly dying. Uh, <laughs> nice uh, 
<laughs> a little segue there, yeah. Very, yeah, I'm very proud of that. Um, and in order to, so because of the cloning process that they used in their plan to have him age rapidly, he was like, he needed some sort of, uh, some part of Picard's DNA in order to survive. And, uh, because he didn't get it, he's dying. Um, how silly was this kind of twist? I thought it was kind of dumb. I don't want to just spend the whole second half repeating first half stuff, but again, the problem with this movie is is that they wrote down all of their ideas on little slips of paper, and rather than pulling out one or two and trying to forge a movie, they just did them all. And this is the, another piece to it. So not only is he a clone of Picard, but he's also dying, and he needs Picard's blood in order to survive or to continue living for at least a little bit longer, but he keeps putting it off. Every time they mention, we've got to start the procedure, we need to start doing it, he keeps saying, no, 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 not right now, not right now, we'll do it later, we'll do it later, and why was he putting it off? I didn't get that, like, he kind of started looking more evil, and he had the veins in his head and stuff, as he kept putting it off, and he was in pain, so did they ever explain that, or not really? I don't think so, and I remember when we were watching it, you were like, why doesn't he just do it? Yeah, no, I was getting frustrated. Like, just do the procedure, and then it's done. There was at least three times when you were, like, almost yelling at the screen to, like, well, just yeah, do it. Well, he, they had Picard. He was chained up on that table thing. They had him. It would just be like, yeah, do it right now. It was very... I thought it was really dumb. Like, yeah. just to throw that in and be like, oh, they need his DNA to survive. Like, like it just didn't make much much sense. And I, I don't really understand why they weren't able to use some sneaky... Romulan method to uh, or Reman method to like you know sneak on board and grab a you know hair out of his head or something to get his DNA like yeah the other thing I don't really love and this is the same problem with generations in the sense that it's a great idea but they don't utilize the benefit of the person so in generations they do the Captain Picard Captain Kirk team up and the reason why Kirk would be a valuable asset is because he's one of the most uh, you know, prolific captains in Starfleet history. But then he uses them to basically just punch a guy in the face. Well, he's really good at that, too. He's okay at that, yeah. <laughs> but in this movie, they have this whole idea that it's a clone of Picard. So now you've got Picard and you've got the evil Picard, the clone version. But it's not as if he's using that kind of Picard diplomacy or... Uh, you know, that famous uh, Picard strategical moves or anything like that. It's just kind of an evil version that shows that, you know, if Picard had bo been born in a different spot, he would have been evil and a jerk. And that part of it is so such a waste, right? I feel like it would have been better if it was kind of Picard going up against his equal, but maybe even a younger version of himself, like a more rash version. Like, remember in Tapestry, when he went back and he saw, like, how... How you know aggressive he was, and and how he had he such fights a... with Nausicans. right? Like maybe <laughs> it would have been kind of like, wouldn't that have been a better movie where it was Picard versus that version of himself, old oh. wise Picard versus like young rebellious Picard? We've already established that both of them are important, and you needed the young one in order to get to the old one. But what wins out, youth and strength, or wisdom and experience? In my experience playing recreational softball, the wily <laughs> veterans always tend to win. So, Regardless, 
it would have been a kind of an interesting play. You have to admit that. That's, yeah, it would have been much better than uh, what they did. Now, uh, the last one, one more little bit here is uh, the, the they have this staff meeting to talk about, and LaForge talks about uh, Shinzon's, you know, devastating Thaleron radiation weapon, and uh, the Enterprise is en route to rendezvous with a uh, you know a bunch of Starfleet ships to try and uh, take a stand against them. Now, um, of course, you know, being a movie, they go with the uh, the weapon that's, you know, powerful enough to destroy an entire planet. And of course, Shinzon decides, ah, I'm going to go blow up Earth or, or kill everything on Earth. Can I just say that, that the staff meeting thing I actually kind of liked because that is such a classic next generation era thing. Of course, if you go back yeah. to original series, they did it on occasion, but usually it was just kind of Spock, McCoy, and Kirk. In yeah, and Deep just... Space Nine, they sometimes did it, but it was rare. And they yeah. did do it quite often in Voyager. But Next Generation was very well established that the staff meetings brought in all the head people and whoever the guest star was for the week. And they established what the plan was and everybody gave their suggestions and they made it forward. So I actually, I mean, I, this movie's not good, but that part of it I did like. Yeah, the conference room set in Next Generation saw a lot of uh, screen time. Yeah, the carpet was very well worn. That's <laughs> true. Uh, I guess the one thing I would was going to ask is that... Now, we see this in movies, in Star Trek movies all the time. Some powerful, destructive force going for Earth. Mm-hmm. Do they use that a bit? Do you think they use that too much? Well, you know that I'm a big stakes guy. And you know that one of my biggest problems with not just Star Trek, but with movies is the escalation of stakes is kind of a like a fruitless endeavor because, I mean, Star Trek Discovery, the most recent season two, the the plot was like the universe, the universe. Um, and they had to stop the universe from being destroyed. That is just kind of the, the problem with it. Right. It's it's almost like the old Bond movies where they would go so fantastical, you know, with like Moonraker and you only live twice and stuff. The only thing that you could do was to go back to kind of more low key, more smaller uh, endeavors on the next time. And that's what this should have been. This should have been it's Picard. Picard is the, the, the pivotal piece and his life is at stake or his reputation is at stake going to earth and going to blow everybody up we literally the year before had seen that in enterprise literally the year before that was season three of the enterprise with the zindi it has no weight man like it's i've seen it a thousand times well and why start with earth like why not just go to like galorndon core or something which is like a federation planet on the border of neutral zone just be like all right i'm gonna start right here and destroy everything yeah and it's it's not like uh, shinzon was like enslaved at earth or something and he really hated it he just goes there for no reason he should be mad at romulus and be looking to destroy romulus which is literally right next to where he is yeah exactly it's just like i don't know i think the earth the whole like earth is in peril thing is a little bit overdone because there are probably thousands of other federation planets that would be just as devastated no earth is important is overdone because like earth is just one planet in the in the whole thing like we are the ones watching this particular you know like we're looking at all the the starfleet people 
But that's just us, right? Like the universe is filled with Boleans and Vulcans and all these different races that don't give a crap about Earth, right? Like it's just another planet in in the midst of all the other ones. Yeah, I think that's sort of my what I was getting at. Like, you know, why is it always Earth? Why is it never, you know, wherever the Boleans are from or Andorian? You know, why is it always Earth? Well, that's true. Like, is there some prolific Vulcan captain that was cloned and he's having a similar story happening right around the same time? And how come we're never hearing about these tales, you know, in uh, proxy? Who knows? I mean, uh, I mean, I suppose it's possible that it happens. Maybe that Vulcan captain from Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite. <laughs> I would like to see that. himself made and threatening to blow up Vulcan that we just we just don't know about. Yeah, you know, I'm not against watching that movie. It could be interesting. Vulcans. Trying to, like, out-logical themselves or clones of themselves. Would you watch any Star Trek movie that was not Federation, like a Klingon movie or a Vulcan movie or a uh, Andorian movie, and the Starfleet people were, like, in the background? They weren't the main characters. Or they're the bad guys. Ooh. ooh, I like that idea, too. Now, here we go. We're, uh, we're, we're... We're getting some ideas here. If, if you're interested in uh, buying them... <laughs> yes. Please send all, uh, you know, all checks to randomtrekreview at gmail.com. All right, moving along uh, with some more plot uh, here. Um, the, uh, the scimitar is, like, chasing the Enterprise, and now the Enterprise, I don't think, was quite aware of it until they reach uh, Bassin's Rift, mm-hmm. where they're like, oh, communications are useless, and then, like, a split second later, the ship is rocked by... Disruptor fire. How predictable and how convenient was this? Considering it's a complete rehash of Wrath of Khan, not that surprising. Because they have that whole nebula, cat and mouse uh, scenario in that movie. So it wasn't surprising at all. Uh, But, I mean, I will give this the sci-fi pass. As I'm sure you're like well aware, like 99% of space is empty, correct? Or something to that effect. Uh, it's a lot of it, yes. So the idea that you'd run into like a nebula that perfectly hides the communications of your ship is probably a bit ridiculous. But you know what? I will give that the sci-fi pass. Okay, it's getting the sci-fi pass. All right. Yeah, I thought as soon as they were like, yeah, we can't communicate. I was like, oh, that's it. They're. Uh, that's well, why would I'm... you go there? Well, that was going to be my sort of next thing to to discuss is like, how did they just like walk right into this? Like, didn't what couldn't data just be like, oh, captain, uh, our communications will be useless in this rift, so perhaps we should uh, set a different course. Right, because like they are the ones that need to communicate back to Starfleet. Yeah, because they're trying to like reach their fleet of ships that was waiting for them somewhere. Right. So if they I mean if they were able to communicate and the the scimitar attacked them, they'd be like, oh hey, but the scimitar's here and we're under attack. Come help us. Yep. But in Bassin's <laughs> Rift, they, they can't, can't do that. And I just Googled it while you were talking. <laughs> and listen to this. The wonders of modern technology. Decimal 0000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000
That's an incredible number of zeros. Yeah. So the idea that they happen to stop in a nebula that blocks communications. I mean, again, I'm giving it the pass, so it doesn't matter. But yeah, it's a bit crazy. Now, of course, that leads us to the big space battle. You know, you got the, the scimitar versus the Enterprise, just... But the scimitar's got its perfect cloak, so the Enterprise can't, like, shoot at them. And somehow they can... The, the scimitar is able to fire while their cloak is engaged, even though that's never really been done, except in Star Trek VI. Well, what'd you think? Were you impressed with this uh, epic space battle? Duel, if you will? You know what? I think that it may be a bit of a shock to you. But there are three things that I love about this bit. Oh. Are you surprised? Uh, I'm surprised there's three. Um, I kind of miss space battles pre-2009 with the JJ stuff. So even though there's a lot of phaser fire, if you were to put this kind of on like one of those 50-50 screens with the newer versions of Star Trek... This is still kind of classic level. This is as crazy and as excessive as they probably ever got. Uh, yeah, I like. I mean, the only, I mean, there was a purpose to it though, right? Because like the Enterprise couldn't see them, so they would like kept shooting like right. strategically to try to hit it, so they could figure out right. Kind of like the fanned out shots. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't just like oh, let's have as many like flashing laser beams on the screen as possible in this. Right, and they weren't like the short ones either, which I never liked. The short, uh, kind of more Star Wars version uh, shots. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't mind the quantum torpedoes in Deep Space Nine, but I like the big extended phasers in Star Trek. Yeah. yeah um, sure. So that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is actually the movie as a whole. And this may surprise some, but I actually think that the, the soundtrack is quite good. Like the music? The actual music that plays. It's not bad. Yeah, no, if you actually go back and listen to it, it's 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 quite good. Um, and I know that we kind of ripped on that shuttle escape scene, but if you go back and listen to it, um, I kind of like the soundtrack. And actually, I was at a, an old record store the other day, and I was kind of flipping through the soundtracks, as you do. And this movie came up. It was like uh, $7.99. And oh. I even thought about picking it up, because sometimes I like to have the old CDs for my car uh, to you know listen to mm. on the way to work. And this was one that I, I hummed and hawed about because I actually do like this soundtrack a lot. So there's another positive. Okay. Is that all three? Oh, no. That's only two. Um, the third thing is is that when the Romulan ships show up, they look amazing. This mm. is maybe the best Romulan ships have ever looked. They were pretty pretty cool looking. Um, we're still... We're not quite to the Romulans yet. No, we're not. But they, they do show up in this battle, right? So that's why... That's the three things. I, I thought the, the, ba the battle was not terrible i mean i did like sort of how there was like as you say sort of a bit of a cat and mouse kind of thing because the scimitar is cloaked and so they can't see it and they have to do all this crazy sort of tactical stuff to try to find it and try and hit it so they can so that they have something to uh target their weapons on and uh that part of it i thought was kind of cool but um otherwise i thought it was just sort of like a i guess it wasn't really that excessive now that i kind of think of it it was decent. The problem is, is that like it was really good in '82 when they did it in Wrath of Khan. That's true. Yeah, right. It was very, very good. Okay, so there, there's sort of this lull in the action, and there's this weird scene where Shinzon hails the Enterprise and, and asks Picard to go into his ready room, 
and there's like this hologram of him there and they have this like sort of really i guess philosophical kind of conversation about who is the real picard here and all this all this and that i thought it was kind of a weird time to do it in the middle of this huge battle it, it definitely had a feel like it was supposed to be in a different section of the movie and then they reorganized it and they put it here rather than at another time so he has control of like the holographic emitters i guess of the enterprise and uh he even like it says like accept surrender and like he's very overconfident and overpowerful like i don't really understand i mean i I guess i do understand the idea that you want to have a villain who seems like he's impossible to beat but he should only really have like one superpower he should either be like super strong or super smart or super technologically advanced he seems like he's winning in every facet of the of everything which i don't like at all yeah he's like the all-powerful picard clone which I mean, Picard is as great of a character as he is. He is flawed. Right. Right? He's, he's you know, he's not this all-powerful captain, right? Right. And, but yet somehow Shinzon is, yeah, this this scene, it just seemed very out of place and it seemed kind of odd. It's almost like they, they, they had a, some sort of call sheet where they were like, well, Patrick Stewart and Tom Hardy haven't been on the screen at the same time for x amount of minutes so we should definitely get them together because those are the two main characters and so they decided to do this holographic ready room talk yeah but it, i don't really understand like what the point of it was yeah what did what was like what was said or what was really kind of given it was just nothing i mean picard tries to like get him to give up what he's doing because like it like sort of appeals to his humanity a little bit but like He's been doing that the whole movie, hasn't he? Yeah, and it's not working. Like, you've already established he's evil. Yeah, he's... he's an evil monster. He's raised by those those heartless, terrible Remans, and he just... He has no humanity left, so what's what's the point? Yeah, and I guess the point is, is just to kind of make it seem like there is this through line of a bigger, overarching plot of Picard versus himself, but it just kind of falls hollow, unfortunately. Yeah, I I thought it was terrible and not really necessary. Uh, so that brings us to uh, the Romulans. Uh, the, the two Romulan warbirds decloak, and there's kind of that funny moment where Riker is like, "Oh crap, they've come to they've come to beat up on us too." And he, you know, and then if you know the Romulans hail them and they're like, "No, we've come to help you uh, blow up Shinzon." So that was kind of cool. Um, where were they like uh, five days ago? <laughs> good question so you mentioned that you liked the look of the ships and i totally agree they were pretty pretty cool looking and pretty imposing and very 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 cool ships um what, what did you think about the romulans coming to the rescue i mean did that seem out of place or did it seem odd or did it sort of make sense considering what we sort of talked about a little earlier on about no, how I... they were kind of getting impatient and, and sort of looking like maybe they would stab shins on and back it could have been really cool unfortunately it, they get disposed of so quickly that was very disappointing and i was very not happy with that yeah. i mean Shinzon basically takes like what half a dozen shots at one and basically like 
cuts it in half and then disa- completely disables the other one within about two minutes. Yeah, the Scimitar as an idea is just stupid. And they basically redo it again in 2009 with Nero, who's basically just has the same exact thing again. Yeah. I hate these super big ships that are so super powerful that nobody could ever uh, conquer them because then it just makes everything seem kind of perilous but not in a good way and it really defeats the whole idea that this is Picard's strength because Picard is not known as being the guy who has the big ship who can just destroy everybody in two shots he's known as the diplomat the tactician and they're not using that in the clone side of things so it just makes the whole thought of it just kind of pointless and like the idea that he's going to take on an entire quadrant with one ship and maybe like 20 monsters as the crew people doesn't really make sense either you actually stop and think about it i think we may have talked about this in the first half here it's like where did he get this ship like where did it come from like how did they build it this ginormous ship that has these like wildly powerful weapons it has a perfect cloak somehow like where and it was supposedly built by remans who are like enslaved miners on a planet like what were they like hoarding all this (laughs) this like ore that they were mining and like secretly on the dark side of the planet built this ginormous all-powerful ship i hate to say it but the nero one where he goes back in time or does he go future and forward in time uh he went back he went back in time so that i actually think is a better idea because you could have like future tech future information future everything if you go back then you're obviously much more advanced and your ships are bigger and stuff like that they have no explanation here yeah, and it makes sense if you go backwards in time. But here, like, there's no there, there's no explanation whatsoever. Like, the ship just... Is amazing. Yes, and somehow a bunch of slaves, my, mining slaves, got their hands on it. Or, <laughs> yeah. and, and, or, or built, built it. it. <laughs> yeah. uh, speaking of silliness, how do they break the perfect cloak, Matt? Oh, how do they break it? Oh, <laughs> oh yes, Troy. Yes. Troy, like, used her uh, mental powers to, like... To do a reverse mind rape. Pretty much. Uh, and then she, like, used... And then she, like, guided Worf's hand on, like, the tart. That was so... That was so bad. <laughs> that, like, old Apple rollerball uh, targeting system? It was so bad. Yeah. She's, like, moving his hand on the pan... Like, the control thing with the targeting sensors and then... It was bad. It was cringe. As soon as Troy was like, I have an idea, I was like, oh god, this is going to be bad. <laughs> yeah, I don't mind Troy, and I actually I think that she takes a lot of flack pointlessly from the TV series, but that scene is essentially the epitome of bad. Oh, it was terrible. But it doesn't get much better, because the uh, the Remans decide, uh, after they've sort of been exposed, their, their ship has been exposed, and I guess sort of battle was kind of turning away from them. They decided they were going to board the Enterprise. Now, I don't really understand why. I guess maybe they went to try and, uh, like, kidnap Captain Picard. Uh, But for some reason, they beamed to, like, the lower decks and decided they were going to, like, fight their way to the bridge and and get them, I guess. I don't don't really know. And that leads to the crazy fight between Riker and the the Vice. You know it's going to be bad from the start because they do like a remake of the Death Star like <laughs> garbage, garbage shoot, shoot uh, <laughs> scene. 
And it's even worse because Worf, like, dives on the ground and he's, like, he's, like, on the ground on his back and he's, like, firing the phaser, like, up at them while, like, Riker jumps down the, the garbage chute. Um, how, how bad was, uh, was that whole, like, fight scene between Riker and the, the Riemann Viceroy guy? This may be the most pointless thing in, like, Star Trek history, isn't it? It was very pointless. Yeah, there's one thing I actually do like about it. It's probably one of my other favorites from this movie is that um, at one point Riker does like the Roger Moore style kicks where he grabs the scaffolding and does like the big like two foot kicks. Um, Mm. But that was about the only saving grace. Man, this was bad. Man, this was bad. This is just completely and utterly useless, pointless. They do the garbage shoot thing. And then, like, the big fight, and it's, like, in the scaffolding, but it's in the ship, and it's, like, a thousand feet down. Yeah, it was, like, that chasm that ends up kicking. <laughs> like, where down. was that in the ship? I have no idea. Yeah, like, it's just, everything about it was just, just screamed of not having any kind of clue or what people of Star Trek want to see. Well, it was, it was so cliche. Like you said, they're, like, fighting on, like, scaffolding, like, in the, the bowels of the ship, and then somehow this, like, giant chasm that's, like, 20 stories deep like somehow in the middle of like a where would like you said where is where that is in that? the ship the like ship's not even that tall <laughs> exactly it's like thousands and thousands of feet it's like the it's like the emperor going down the you know exhaust <laughs> port at the end of return of the jedi like it's just so let's not even talk about that it's so bad yeah i mean it, it's like they just were like well we need to make Riker look heroic somehow so we'll just throw in this pointless fight scene with the you know Shinzon's like right hand man and you know what maybe that is the downside of getting kind of getting to the later movies like in the original series movies there never was this feeling like well we need Ohura to have like a side plot like in some of the movies she doesn't do much right uh and same thing with uh you know McCoy like he's around but it's not like he has to have a big fight scene at the end of every movie in this movie you definitely get the sense that everybody had to have their little scenes and had to have their little thing. And at this point, Jonathan Frakes, I guess, was popular enough that they were like, well, he has to do a big action scene. Well, He's, except Jordy. Yeah, he just kind of mulls about. He doesn't really do much, does he? he? He does very little. He does that kind of, he hooks up Data to B4. That's about it. Yep, he was definitely not a prominent character. Alright, so now we get to this point in the battle where um, Shinzon decides, um, well I don't know if he decided this consciously, but he he targets the bridge, I guess after Picard refused to surrender himself. He uh, he targets the bridge and the uh, the view screen ends up getting blown out, which looks amazing, by the way. That did look pretty cool. And when the guys get sucked out before the safety barriers come up, that's pretty awesome. That was pretty good, yeah. This I thought it was kind of silly because again, what if Picard had been sucked out and killed? Well, yes, like there's that part of how his Shinzon's plan would have been completely screwed up. But then Picard has this like scene where he's like sort of looking out at the ship, the the scimitar through the like hole in the view screen, and he's like, he's trying to look me in the eye like without any barriers. Like how dumb was that? I didn't get that. How far? It's not like you can see like thousands of kilometers. Exactly. Yeah. Like that made no sense. Yeah. And you know what? That whole thing is again. It's just a ripoff of Wrath of Khan, where he's texting Diana, 
with the, <laughs> you know, getting to ready ram to, to ram the ship. It's basically the same thing as Kirk in Wrath of Khan. Oh, Khan. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it's the same, it's the same scene, isn't it? Basically. Yeah, it's very similar. Now, you mentioned that Picard decides that his only course of action here, like, you know, his weapons are all dis- disabled. He has no recourse left except to ram the ship. Um, did you think that this was a good idea or was it maybe a bit too drastic to, like, ram into it? Mm, you know what? I actually don't mind it because that is a very classic Star Trek trope, right? They were going to ram the Defiant into the board cube at the battle. Prepare for ramming speed! Yeah, it's always kind of the last <laughs> ditch move. The Enterprise, I'm never as big of a fan of doing it just because there's so many civilians that live on board. But it is a very common thing that you do. Yeah, I mean, I guess um, I guess the one nice thing about him ramming the ship is we get the, the visuals of the Enterprise crashing into this... Uh, this Riemann uh, super ship. Which Again, it looks good for O2. It, it looks really pretty, does. It looked pretty, uh, pretty cool. I think they kind of did a model and some CG stuff, and it's weird seeing Deanna crash the ship again. <laughs> Deanna Troy, uh, crashing <laughs> specialist. It, yeah, you're right about the model that they did actually build a model for that part of it, or for to do some of the visuals because that actually. That piece of the saucer section was actually used uh, in an Enterprise episode, like as a prop. Yeah, that one with the board, right? Regeneration. Yeah, regeneration. Yeah. yeah, good knowledge, Matt. I uh, yeah, I actually have to admit that I did kind of like the ramming thing, and I was really happy they didn't blow up the Enterprise because that's such a common thing they do, right? Yeah, I like that they kind of they thought didn't just think that oh, if we're just gonna ram the ship, it's just gonna blow up. Like how the, the they actually like crashed and sort right. of crumpled and yeah it was it was pretty pretty cool and nothing we've really seen either no i don't think we have seen anything like that before i think the closest thing we saw to that was the pilot of enterprise where uh, trip accidentally like scraped the the paint mm-hmm. off the hull <laughs> <laughs> so um after they crash into him shinzon sort of backs away and then he decides to activate his uh Doomsday weapon, the Thaleron radiation uh, thing. Which is just a bigger version of the little one at the beginning. Did you notice that? Yes, yes. You see how it's foreshadowing. Yes. It's, uh... it's almost like the Romulan people should have done an investigation and warned everybody that they were going to use this like super deadly, <laughs> super illegal weapon. <laughs> yeah, now, um, and Picard goes to stop him. Now, the question that I have is like, why is this thing so slow? That's not slow. It takes seven minutes. That's pretty slow. Well, it's got to charge up. <laughs> yeah, but like the handheld version didn't take seven minutes. Yeah, because it was much smaller. Although it did take a few minutes. It took some seconds. So as you make it bigger, it makes it even extrapolates the length of time it takes oh. to set it. Okay, well, I guess that I just didn't know that because I'm not an expert on Thaler on <laughs> You need so to. I'm, like... I'm glad you were able to clarify that. Because yeah. I thought it was really dumb that it took like seven minutes to deploy the bloody thing. Well, it's the ticking bomb, right? They just have to make it seem so that there's enough time. I'm sure there's more than seven minutes of runtime if anyone were to calculate it. Maybe we'll have to try try and figure that out next time we watch it if it actually takes seven minutes. No, I mean, doubtful. I. Doubtful. <laughs> I mean, I understand dramatically wise why they do it, but it just seems kind of silly. Like, you develop this awesome, terrible, deadly weapon, but you need seven minutes to deploy it. 
I mean, the yeah. Death Star didn't take seven minutes. Yeah, commence primary ignition. It took like, like maybe seven seconds. All right, so we have this crazy scene where Data decides, in his infinite wisdom as a Sung type android, <laughs> that we can't let the captain sacrifice himself. I need to be the one to do it. And I'm going to fly through space to do it. Okay, I'm not an astrophysicist, and I know you aren't either. But, like, is this even realistic? The idea that you could just run and jump and go into it? Yes. So, I guess, like, Data doesn't breathe, right? I don't doubt that Data would be able survive to space. survive it. But, like, is that realistic? Like To really? run and jump? He, he, he ran, like, like 20 yards and then just well, that and dove. <laughs> I mean, I guess, like, there is no wind resistance and there's no gravity or anything. So, like, if something is moving in space, it will just constantly move at that speed. Right? Okay. So as long as your trajectory is correct, you will just continue to go, right? Like, even when they went to the moon and stuff, right? Like, they they hit the blasters until they got to the speed, and then they just turn them off, and you don't stop. Like, you never slow down. Okay, but what if the scimitar, like, moves, moves slightly? Moves, like, three feet to the left. Well, then you're screwed. But it's, like, really big. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm not really a big fan of Data's jump of faith. Um, and I'm even a lesser fan that Discovery actually redid this oh, with boy. Michael Burnham in that special space suit. But that's a whole other situation. You know, I, I yeah, even the Picard site-to-site transport port before this is also kind of breaking some of the rules and some of the things that we have seen typically in Star Trek. Now, okay, I... I can buy that data like is able to do this, but like what where's the decision making behind this? Mm-hmm. Like did he just decide on his own to do it and everyone was just like, Okay, that's a great idea, Data. Let's Well let's Jordy do does it. help him. Well yeah, but did he not like question and be like, Data, are you sure you want to do <laughs> yeah. this? And like where's Riker? He's fighting that monster. Ugh. Ron Perlman. <laughs> so there's another reason. So I guess that's why I guess we've unlocked, we figured out why they needed to do the stupid fight with Riker and the guy to right. get him off the bridge so that he wouldn't be like, nope, Data, this you makes can't no do sense. this. You're, what are you, crazy? Yeah, because he's I the just... most ranking officer because after Picard leaves, he's the well, most, yeah, he's yeah. highest ranking, yeah, right? Data's the guy. It's his call. Yeah, that's what he decides. He's going to do like a running Superman dive through space. Also, like the other thing too is like when he lands on the scimitar, there's no guarantee that you're going to find like a door that you can get into. Or like someone left their window open. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was convenient. He slides in. Yeah. That, I, that, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm maybe be, we're being a little nitpicky here, maybe, because it yeah. was pretty pretty dramatic and pretty cool, but there's a lot of problems uh, with it. Now, of course, that leads us to sort of the, the, sort of the major climax where the weapon's about to blow up and, and you know, data pins that little transporter thing on Picard and Picard gets beamed back to the Enterprise. Oh, you're missing and... the whole big fight, though. Oh, well, another fight. Yeah, well, and it's not just that Picard is fighting a younger version of himself because Shinzon also, he's, like, injured. He's, like, this... He needs this like, blood transfusion. He's so weak. And he's got, like, the tummy grums. He keeps, like, holding his belly <laughs> at certain times. I... Uh... Yeah, Is I... Is that fight better than Riker versus the Riemann? You know what? Unfortunately, I have some bad news for you. Is that this exact fight is completely ripped off of um, The World Is Not Enough. James Bond came out in 1999. 
and they do a fight in like a submarine and oh, the, yes, the, the big submarine. finale is that the little <laughs> the bar like, thing the like bar thing comes out. out and he pulls it into his own guts just like this so it's actually well it's also three years later they ripped it off i think they also, was this before or after lord of the rings the first one the after right 2001 well they did the, the, yeah so that happened in lord of the rings too pulling the thing into your own guts is really kind of passe at this point except they went like crazy over the top because he pulled himself like several feet on this like spike pole thing that he impaled him it wasn't like like in lord of the rings where like he stabs him with the sword and he like pulls the sword closer and it's like maybe yeah. a foot and a half he like pulled himself He's like dragging like, it, yeah. he like dragged himself pretty far along yeah. this pole a, a movie for all all ages take take the family <laughs> god i hate action picard uh action picard is not that great no and like we're right on the cusp of another picard series and if it's action picard then i have a passing on it you know like i really just dislike how different movie picard and tv picard are like they're just like night and day i don't know how much action you can have an 80 year old actor uh, yeah but that's what they said about patrick stewart when he was 60 doing this movie 80s a little bit different. (laughs) still though like (laughs) well i guess we'll find out and um you know by the time this airs we're not gonna be that far away from it i don't think no we're gonna be like really close i bet it's just that I don't know. I, I just, every time they did it, I feel like it kind of worked less and less. You know, in Generations, he was a little bit fighty, but not too, too much when he fights Soren. Uh, Soren. And then in First Contact, he goes like full Rambo style. He even goes more kind of like vigilante Rambo in Insurrection here like i don't know he's always wearing like that gray tank top oh just hate it oh i hate it so much yeah action picard is not uh quite as good as uh diplomatic and uh cunning picard that is for sure um so of course data blows up the 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 weapon and the ship before they can uh fire the uh the thaler on radiation and uh there's a nice uh bit uh, sort of after that and after the dust kind of settles and they're they're back on earth getting repaired and they have their nice little uh moment in the ready room where they have a nice glass of chateau picard and yeah reminisce you... a little bit about about data so i mean data sacrifice is just pointless here right like this was just totally brent spiner is getting old and he probably can't really do the whole like non-aging android thing any longer so we're probably just best to kill him off and again just to kind of mirror the wrath of Khan, it'll be just like the same thing where you know the two most popular characters are there and you get rid of data he dies he sacrifices himself but the whole thing just doesn't really work that well um it doesn't have the emotional punch as spock dying in um wrath of Khan and even like when they're drinking the Chateau Picard, like there's something empty about it. Like just doesn't feel. I like the Chateau Picard thing; that was a nice touch, but the whole thing just doesn't feel right. Yeah, well, I I thought it was kind of a nice little thing to throw in uh, near the end of the movie. The one thing I really did like though is um, Riker sort of shares that first memory he had oh, of meeting yeah. Data on the holodeck, and Data's like trying to whistle that song, and he 
he he couldn't remember the song, but he was he sort of talked with that. I thought that was pretty cool, and that's like and that's from straight, Encounter at Farpoint. Yeah, yeah, straight from Encounter at at Farpoint. So I I thought that part of it was kind of neat. But yeah, I, I also feel like it was kind of like you said, hollow. Like they didn't, other than Riker, like no one really said anything. They just sort of and, stood and, there. And, and, and I feel like, like not everybody was there. Like wasn't there like some people missing maybe. I think the all the other main characters were there. Were they? Okay. But, but it wasn't like a funeral where like there was all the regular crew people or no. like Wesley and Guinan and stuff. Like it was it was just kinda like, Well, we better do this. We got like five minutes, we can just hammer out this funeral and be done with it. Yeah, it was very And there was under... no coffin or anything or no kind of It was it was under underdone, is that even Yeah, I think so. I just <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the thing I don't really love about this whole scene, and again, when they redo it in Into Darkness, it's just like we've seen it already. So why not come up with something fresh, something different, right? Mm-hmm. Like, to just do the same thing over again is is kind of pointless. And then I think that the fact that B4 ends up starting to sing the song from The mm-hmm. Wedding, mm-hmm. like, that just is such a cop-out, isn't it? Well, yes, because... That opened the door for them to do another movie, and that's something that we'll touch on a little bit later on. Now, there's the the last thing that's sort of on my list of things to discuss here is there's that scene where Riker goes and talks to Captain Picard before he uh, leaves for his ship, the USS Titan. Mm-hmm. Did this scene seem kind of like subdued to you? Like these yeah. are two guys that are that have served together on a ship for what 15 years at this point or you know they're pretty pretty tight you know and it just seems like they sort of like just shook hands said good luck and see you later yeah and they've done this better on the tv show right they've been doing this since best of both worlds part one really where they're talking about him being promoted and moving on and i feel like we've been kind of accumulating towards this and just kind of falls hollow yeah i kind of agree he takes deanna as well yes that's right yep troy and uh i don't know like it just seemed like it was so subdued i mean wouldn't you like wouldn't wouldn't you want to like hang out and talk and you know reminisce a little bit but it just seems like he walks in he's like all right i'm leaving and he's like all right it's been an honor serving with you they shake hands and that's the end yeah like i mean it wouldn't have been that surprising if they were wearing street clothes and it was like patrick stewart and jonathan frakes like yeah i'm just getting tired of this like (laughs) this star trek stuff's getting old you know like didn't they kind of have that feeling like almost they just almost had mailed it in like eh, whatever who cares well, this matters. They must have filmed this scene like at the very like this must have been the last, <laughs> last one scene. they filmed. They're just like, ah, we'll Who just cares? we'll just we'll just do it and quick and quick and dirty and see you later. Call yeah, them, it had that feeling around. for sure. It definitely had that feeling. Hey, Andrew here, and I just wanted to say thanks for listening to Random Trek Review. Uh, if you want to get some more Star Trek goodness, then make sure to check out the RTR blog at randomtrekreview.blogspot.com. You can also find us on social media, iTunes by searching for Random Trek Review, Twitter for by searching at Rando Trek Review, and Instagram at Random Trek Review. Or if you just want to use the old style way of emailing questions, comments, or just gripes in general, then feel free to drop us a line at randomtrekreview at gmail.com. Alright, let's move along to the cast and characters. Uh, there's a few um, pretty significant characters in this movie outside of the main 
cast. Let's start with Shinzon, who is played by Tom Hardy. Um, any anything uh, you want to talk about with Shinzon? Was he good? Bad? Maybe in the middle? You know what? I actually think that Tom Hardy's a good actor, but this is not his best stuff. I think that the biggest problem with Shinzon is is that his plan makes no sense. A lot of his motives are really thin and how he came to power and where he got the ship and a lot of the interesting things about him are just never really explored or explained. The fact that he's a Picard clone is just a trailer piece. It doesn't factor into the movie at all. And it's just kind of a wasted character. They don't really ever do anything with it. It's just kind of like he could be generic evil bad guy of the week and it wouldn't make no difference. I I love the idea of having the Romulans clone Picard, and I love Tom Hardy, the actor. I, I feel like this was just totally wasted. They had yeah. this great idea for a for a villain in a movie, and it was just totally wasted. He has his like plan that was not well thought out. All these things that he does, his motivations are not really that clear. I just I just thought it was a totally wasted character. Um, so Dinatro is like sort of the main Romulan character, I guess, uh, as far as, like, she was like the commander of the fleet, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, anything about Dinatro that stood out to you? Pretty generic. They make a point of kind of saving her in this, like, her ship gets disabled, it's not destroyed. And I don't really get why. Like, I guess maybe they were thinking that they were going to bring her back at some point or something but like yeah she doesn't really do much and she's kind of wildly uninteresting even as kind of a tactician in the battle she doesn't really say much or do much so wasted character wasted time i kind of feel the same way like she wasn't really like she could have been anybody right it was just she was pretty pretty generic and not really that uh she didn't really stand out to me just some Romulan commander. It could have been Tomalok for all we, we could have known. <laughs> yeah, that might have actually been a nice way of kind of connecting something that's a bit more recognizable, right? At least that would have that piece, but... Yeah, she, like, they. you're right that they do kind of go out of her way to try and save her, and I don't know if maybe there was plans for something later down the road. Um, I do know that she factors in fairly significantly to some of the novels that come out post-Nemesis. Oh, okay. But, um um, I don't know if that was done deliberately or if that was just byproduct of saving her in the movie. Uh, how about the uh, the Riemann Viceroy, who doesn't actually have a name, oddly enough? No, he's never named? No, he's just the Viceroy. Oh, okay. It's Ron Perlman. That's, uh, that's something. You know, like, I don't really think that Ron Perlman is the, you know, epitome of thespianism or anything like that, but <laughs> he's still better than this. You know, mm. he was in uh, Beauty and the Beast and Hellboy, and uh, I think recently he did um, that Pacific Rim movie. But yeah, again, just another wasted person. I was really expecting when I looked uh, this up that he was just going to be generic stunt actor number seven. <laughs> and then the fact that it was a real actor that I recognized the name of was kind of surprising. Pointless character, uh, never explained how he has the tele telekinetic powers or tele telepathy powers. Uh, the fight with Riker is generic, dies pointlessly. Yeah, it was. This is another one that just he's just sort of like the generic like henchman, right? He doesn't even really say all that much in the movie, and he's involved in that horrible 
mind rape scene, which might be yeah, like that's that's that cool. right there kind of puts you on the on the bottom of the list of uh, good villains in Star Trek. Um, so there's a couple of Romulan characters. I think they're both sort of like just like senators. There's Saran and there's Talora. Talora was sort of like the the treacherous one that like planted the weapon at the beginning that killed okay. all the senators, and then Saran I think was kind of like her her sort of henchman or or another one of the senators that i guess was sort of in cahoots with her and trying to like seize power anything interesting uh there um they're not really romulan-y enough like the, the things that they do are evil but they're not romulan kind of evil you're expecting it to be kind of a double cross or a triple cross or something that's a bit more cloak and dagger behind the scenes deception that kind of thing and i think that these characters like she literally brings a bomb into senator's room and just sets it off like that's not really like a romulan big deception plan is it i don't know i thought that was kind of a romulan thing to do it is that directly that's pretty like the way she like sort of like weaseled out of the chamber she's like oh i have to go see the tholian ambassador right like i mean that's okay it's okay let's 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 meet in the middle and we'll just say that it's okay um there's also b4 who's like i guess sort of a guest character even though he's played by brent spiner and is like a copy of data or a more more uh earlier version of data how how, what do you think of b4 b4 is wank (laughs) he is super annoying he is kind of taking the whole noonian soong thing and making it like just that little bit too excessive uh, for me anyway he's not really used in a good way because the whole plan with him is pointless but also he makes data's death seem less important because he's kind of a cop-out he has that that little thread that maybe they're not going to do it and we've seen this like does data not have the worst family crew of any character you've ever seen <laughs> Yeah, B4, there's a lot of bad things about B4 in this movie. There's really not anything particularly good. I mean, it sort of gives them that, like, trapdoor escape. Into it, yeah. That in case they want to do another movie, they can always just say, oh, they, like, transferred his memories, right? Which, as you said, it gives his death less, like, it makes it less impactful because Mm -hmm. he's not really dead, theoretically. So... I I thought the whole plan using B four like lure the Enterprise and like plant him on the ship was just so half baked and there was so much that could go wrong with it. It just it was just silly. The other thing is is like name a family member of Data that isn't evil, not <laughs> evil, but like that's like a positive thing. We had this trivia question like several like one of the early episodes. Oh, uh, did we really? Yeah, I've already gone this. Well, yeah, we, you remember the uh, schizoid man? Oh, okay. You asked me the question, name all his relatives that are shown on screen. And yeah, oh, okay. they're all pretty like malevolent. Like none of them yeah. are really very good people. Well, yeah. And I mean, like his daughter dies like in near just after being born. And like his mother ends up like kind of leaving him and stuff like that. Like I almost kind of think that finding another android and then having it be good might have been like a different take, a different way of doing it. Which, I don't know. Again, I feel like we have this obsession with trying to rewrite this movie to be good. <laughs> but, yeah, B4 is terrible. 
Okay, just a quick uh, mention of two characters. One was um, a Romulan commander who's played by J. Patrick McCormack, uh, who is a Star Trek veteran. Okay. He appeared as uh, the admiral at the end of the episode of Deep Space Nine where they find out Bashir is genetically enhanced. Okay. And then he was also in an episode of Voyager. You there was remember that episode where they had to like hide the the telepaths because there was that like alien race that was like very paranoid about telepaths. He was like the the henchman, so he would play. He was a, a Romulan commander in in Nemesis, and then the other one is uh, actually the uh, replacement for Commander Riker. His name was Commander Madden. Now he was never actually seen in the movie. His he was they he was it. He they did film scenes with him, but they were they ended up being cut from the movie. And he was played by Stephen Culp, who you will remember as Major Hayes. Okay. From uh, the third season of Enterprise, he appeared in I don't know half a dozen episodes or maybe. Yeah, yeah, more. I remember Major Hayes. Yeah. He was always like. Uh... He was always kind of beefing with um, Reed. Yes. They hated each other. Yeah. All right. Some uh, production notes. A lot of these are just going to be sort of like quick uh, tidbits here. Um, There are a few things that were left out uh, that the director wanted, um, but they were too expensive. Okay. So the first one was there was supposed to be a Gorn at the wedding. All right. My question to that is why? Well, exactly. Like, does does Riker have some, like, long-lost friend? Is it Gorn? <laughs> Gorn? I thought the Gorns were super xenophobic. They're xenophobic, and they are also not members of the Federation, so I find it very unlikely that either Riker or Troy would, would have, have a, a close, Gorn friend. A close Gorn friend that would appear at their wedding. So. Oh, that is some, like, Star Trek Discovery-level stupidity. Like, having a Gorn, like, waiter, just because... Remember the Gorn episode? Remember Arena? Like, that is just dumb. I'm glad they didn't put that in. And the other thing was that they, uh, the director wanted to have a huge fleet, like fleets of ships in the big space battle at the Bassam Rift, but uh, that was too expensive. So they had two Romulan ships. Two Romulan ships, the Scimitar and the Enterprise, yes. Um, now, this one I thought found very interesting, actually. The, uh, the Enterprise bridge for the movie was placed on gimbals, uh, so that the, like, lurching action of the actors when they were, like, hit with, you know, weapons was much more realistic. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. You know what? You gotta give credit when it's due. That's actually just a good idea. Uh, the crew quarters and sick bay sets for this movie were brand new. Uh, they built brand new sets for those two locations. Now, previous movies, they just redressed the sets from, uh, from Voyager. Okay. But that doesn't really add up, though. Because Voyager's, what, 2001? It's over? Um, I guess, yeah, it would have been over. So, these ones were completely brand new, but Insurrection was Voyager stuff. Yeah, Voyager and First Contact were redresses of Voyager, yeah. So, that was... Okay, well, you know, they did that all the time. That's true, yeah. They reused the Star Star Trek Next Generation theme music is stolen from the movies, so... (laughs) Yeah, it's true. That's like a Star Trek thing. Well, and, well and all that Borg stuff from Voyager was lifted from First Contact. Right, <laughs> right so. yeah, exactly. It's funny how after First Contact, they decided to do the whole like Borg arc with Voyager. Yeah, they spend all that money on all that Borg stuff in First Contact. And it's like, oh, look, Voyager just happened <laughs> to run into, into the, the Borg, Borg country. the next season. <laughs> that's, uh, that's called getting uh, mileage out of your uh, sets and props. 
And speaking of props, uh, the director, Stuart Baird, he wanted many of the props redesigned to try to make them look more realistic. So, like, for example, there's new new phasers in this movie. I don't know if you noticed that. Again, what's the point? Like, they're, they're, they, they, wanted, they put all the money into new phasers and new sets and new props. Like, maybe, like, what about a good script? What about that as an idea? Uh, I'd say that's a pretty, pretty good idea. Uh, and here's another one that I found interesting that I'd never actually heard before, but uh, Michael Dorn and several of the actors portraying Remans had their voices electronically lowered so that they would seem more alien. And I never knew that they did that. Yeah, I read that as well. And it's one of those things where I guess maybe they just do it by a couple of, you know, decibels or a couple of octaves or something or half an octave. But what, like, why? To make them sound more alien. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> I don't know. I've, as a musician, I found that, an amateur musician, I found that kind of interesting. That uh, lower voices apparently sound more alien. So if I want to sound like an alien, I have to talk like this. <laughs> yeah, like that's how dumb it is, right? Like it's... <laughs> okay, and the last uh, little thing here that I uh, thought would be uh, interesting to talk about is uh, Data's contact lenses were much more opaque and much more yellow. I thought this was very noticeable. I don't know if you caught that as well when you were watching. I guess, again, it's like a why situation. Like, what's the reason for making these kind of, like, minute changes? I mean, he already looks different just because he's older, but... Well, I'm like, how do you miss that? Like, they're, like, neon yellow in this yeah. movie. Yeah. And they're like, they're, like, solid, whereas before they were a little more subtle and a little more... I think they were probably partially transparent. And you know what? I mean, I guess, like, the reality of it is, is that, like, making an android person just doesn't, just doesn't work without the CGI, right? Like, if you look at Brent Spiner in 89, when he was... <laughs> when he had a mullet, almost? Well, yeah, and just, like, he was so much younger <laughs> and thinner. Like, people age, right? They change. The eyes, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's... I, yeah, why make them so noticeably different? Just upsets people pointlessly. Yeah. Especially, like, nerds <laughs> like us that are going to sit... Like, 20 years later, like, you know, debating it. Like, that's the problem. All right, now, this movie has some deleted scenes, which, um, did we watch them? I can't remember. I don't think we did. Uh, I have seen them, yes. Yeah, I've seen them as well. I don't. I just couldn't remember. We didn't watch them together, but I have seen them. Okay. So, uh, we have one where Picard speaks with, uh, with Wesley Crusher at the wedding, and it is revealed that uh, Wesley is returning to Starfleet, and he's going on to uh, Riker ship, the Titan. Yeah, don't like it, for a couple of different <laughs> reasons. Um, number one is, if you worked at Walmart, and then, like, you went on a huge sabbatical with, like, an, like a millionaire who gave you all this power and all this wealth and you traveled all over the world doing all these kinds of you know wonderful and amazing things things that we couldn't even comprehend that's how fantastical they would be mm -hmm. would you really not just come back to working in kind of customer service but you'd actually go and work at like Kmart and you find your old boss at the Walmart and you'd have a, a moment where you said you know what I'm going to go work at Kmart after spending all this time out in, in the world doing all these crazy things. Is that something that you think is realistic? Maybe he got bored. Bored of the universe <laughs> and having unlimited <laughs> scope and power. But the working on the Titan, doing like the Neelix cooking up uh, 
Maybe he just Talaxian soup. Maybe is, maybe he just that. misses Commander Riker. Um, okay, so there's a scene with Picard and Data, and they're drinking drinking and uh, having a nice glass of wine, and it's revealed that Doctor Crusher is going to work at uh, Starfleet Command. That seems a little odd to me. Uh, not really, because it's basically just the same old thing that they did with like O'Brien at the end of Deep Space Nine, right? When they don't know what they want to do with a character, if they have to like kind of write a character out, they always go work for Starfleet Command because you know everybody <laughs> wants to be a secret teacher in their uh, later retirement years. They want to hit that uh, tenure track mm. and get out. I mean, of I guess space. I guess she did disappear to Starfleet Command for season two of Next Generation. So. Yeah, she has a history of working in that, but not totally out of left field. Not super surprised it was cut either. There were some. Scenes cut that ended up in the trailer. In fact, I think most of the trailer was actually uh, scenes that were cut from the movie. There's uh, there's one including Worf sort of warning them about the perils of going to Romulus. There's one of Shinzon saying that the Federation will fall. There's a honeymoon scene. There's Troy saying Picard and Shinzon are different. And then there's another mind rape scene of uh, Troy in a turbo lift. Uh, do any of these sound at all good? Um, so you know what? these were, This was actually very common at the time, was you didn't want to give away too much of the movie or you wanted to kind of throw people off the scent. So you would film additional stuff or you would film things that kind of had a sexy trailer plug to it. Shinzon saying the Federation will fall uh, kind of rings really true here. And I think that that is just kind of a it's of the time that that was kind of a thing that used to happen a lot actually i think so i i none of those scenes seem good especially like the honeymoon scene it doesn't really work it doesn't make sense it doesn't fit and we didn't definitely did not need another mind rape scene the first one was horrific enough so uh, i think that it's glad that those were cut out but i'm also not surprised they might have even known right off the bat they weren't going to use them yeah they may have just been decoys uh to Throw everybody off because uh, they don't want to give away too much. Uh, there's another scene uh, towards the end, well, I guess right, right near the end, where LaForge and Worf are uh, packing up uh, some some of Data's things, including his violin and his Sherlock Holmes pipe. And I believe Data's cat like ends up latching onto Mr. Worf. Because okay. apparently Mr. Worf and them and Spot were like un- unwilling pals. At least Worf didn't seem too thrilled with... Uh, Spot, true. Spot seemed to have a liking to him, so um. I guess it would have been a nice kind of touch for those of us that watch the TV show because we all re- remember the Sherlock Holmes episodes, and uh, you know we remember the cat throughout. But I bet you that the average moviegoer probably would just be confused by it, and so they probably cut it for that reason. Not that that's a good reason, but that's probably what it is. Oh, screw, screw the casual moviegoers. I want to see them packing up <laughs> yeah. all of Data's things and have a nice little moment of reminiscence. True, but then you know what? If they had put it in, then people would have just been like, oh, they're just harkening back to the TV show. And that would have been the argument, right? So Now, the the, the original ending is where um, Commander Madden, who we talked about a little bit earlier, he... Uh, he shows up on the ship and sort of replaces Riker as first officer on the bridge. So um, I think that would have been kind of nice to see. Yeah, that's true. I always remember that wasn't this the movie where they had the seat belts 
was a deleted mm. scene as well. Yes. Uh, but you know what? I either both of them I, I I don't miss because I think that the route that they went in the books was was good. So I don't really mind that they cut this out. All right, uh, and just before we get towards the uh, the end here, I wanted to talk a little bit about the reception that this movie had because uh, it was not very good. LeVar Burton and Marina Sirtis in particular have been uh, quoted widely as saying that this movie was terrible. Yeah, which is kind of funny because that is not usually something you hear about until, you know, certain people have passed away or whatever the case may be, but... <laughs> They are they every time they go to the cons or anything like that, they're very vocal about how this movie is bad and they hated being part of it and working on it was horrible and yeah and um, a lot of the like sort of online ratings uh, tend to reflect that it is right down there with Star Trek Five: The Final Frontier as like one of the worst rated Star Trek movies that they've made uh on rotten tomatoes it got a 37 percent which uh puts it just above star trek 5 on imdb it scored a 6.4 out of 10 which ties it with the motion picture and insurrection for second worst and star trek 5 is the worst those are pretty those are sites that you know i tend to feel like a lot of people make their opinion known on those sites so i think that sort of tells you uh something yeah 6.4 seems actually kind of high in comparison to 37 percent i think people go on rotten tomatoes to rip on movies whereas right. on imdb i think people maybe are a little more objective i would say bad. that that is a fair grouping of movies i would say that nemesis insurrection the motion picture and Star Trek Five are probably, um, excluding the JJ Trek stuff, I'd say that those are probably yeah the bottom of the bottom of the crew for me anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now there was a lot of like you know fans were sort of ripping on Rick Berman and Brandon Braga at this time because they were sort of the ones you know sort of running the the franchise at this time and I mean Enterprise was kind of winding down at this point. I think it would have been two seasons left or maybe one, one. after this. Mm -hmm. and this movie was so bad that a lot of fans were just like get these guys out of here like they are done they need to be thrown off the they they, they can't be running the show anymore if they're going to be putting out this crap i think that these guys did really good stuff with next generation with deep space nine with voyager with some of the movies but by this point and we've already said it a million times and lots of people have as well is that it was just getting long in the tooth they weren't really willing to go crazy new, crazy different. And so it just feels like tired is what it feels. Yeah, and I can sort of attest to that because I lived through this. And I mean, I was I remember being pretty excited about Nemesis because it was supposed to be a Romulan movie and they were the villains. And this was just so disappointing. And I, I, I mean, as a, knowing, you know, as being a Star Trek fan from this sort of era, I was just like, ah, you know what? I think maybe it's time to take a break. I mean, I was at a point in my life where sort of I was getting interested in other things. I mean, I think this movie sort of was almost like the last nail in the coffin in that way because, I mean, like we said, there's one season of Enterprise after this and that was the end and they knew that it was going to be the last season before they even started. Um, so the, ultimately, we can sort of 
quantitatively say that this was the worst movie of them all because this was the worst performance in the box office. Um, it turned the biggest loss in franchise history as far as movies go. So, um, yeah, like you can pretty much, you can almost say like money-wise this was the worst. Period. Yeah, it wasn't good and it kind of came at the end of a, of a very strong period of about what you know 10 15 years of solid trek right now even longer than that because like wrath of Khan is 82 right so this is like a solid 20 years of really good stuff it had just run its course essentially and were there any memorable uh, quotes or scenes that you pick out of this uh, mess of a movie you know what it is hard to find stuff that's good the one thing I will say is when you watch this movie, it has that feeling of, you know, riding off into the sunset. Like, you know that this is the last time you're going to see all these characters together. You know that this is going to be, um, you know, the last hurrah, the last ride, the last mission, whatever you want to call it. And there's something about that that makes me like it a little bit. So just the fact that this is the last one, and let's be honest, it's not as good as all good things. They should have probably just, you know, put a bow on it there. But the fact that it's the last thing and it's the last time that you see all these people together is something. That's the most memorable part. And what about you? My favorite part of the movie was when it was over. <laughs> you know, I think that that's it, isn't it? That's it for Nemesis. I feel like the only thing left to do is to probably put a bow on this one which is our first movie review so uh you know what you feel like you've been kind of quarterbacking this i'm gonna give you the i'm gonna give you the honors give me your final thoughts and a rating out of five skimitars well um i thought the using the romulans was good but i thought sort of the basic idea of like the romulans cloning card with the intention of replacing him was really was really smart and really cool, but they completely botched just about every other part of the movie. You know, a lot of the characters that they introduced were complete wastes or were just not that good. I think just having a good idea, sort of general idea that that sounded like it would be pretty cool, is all that's saving this from getting one out of five. So I mean, I think because they had kind of a cool idea and just didn't do a very good job with it, I'm gonna give it. Two scimitars out of five. I've said the parts I like. I like that it's classic Trek. It is a final hurrah for all my TNG characters that I love so much. I think that the soundtrack is really good. I think that it's cool that they got Tom Hardy before he was kind of super popular and super expensive. Unfortunately, it's just not a good movie. It's definitely not the one that I wanted you to pull out back when we pulled it. <laughs> Although, in terms of kind of the the pantheon of, of Star Trek movies, it's probably not the bottom of the barrel. There's some... Star Trek V has been talked about. Um, the motion picture I actually think is good, but it's very hard to get through. Um, and, I mean, we haven't really talked a ton about J.J. Trek, but there's a lot of offensive stuff that I just can't stand about those movies. It actually upsets me to watch them. This doesn't do that. This is just kind of like a plot-holy movie, but, you know, if you had a couple of drinks and, uh, you know, a big cheeseburger and you just sat down and you just watched it for mindless entertainment while you stuffed your face with popcorn, I think that it's not 
as bad as some of the others. And for that reason and that reason alone, I will give it two out of five scimitars. Right, I think I hear the red alert siren, so that must mean uh, it's almost the end of the podcast, which means it's time for uh, Andrew's favorite part, which is where I will reach into the uh, Romulan Centurion helmet full of episodes, and I'll pull a brand new one for Andrew uh, to read to tell me what he can about it, and then we'll uh, review it in our first episode of our second year of uh, RTR. Yeah, that's kind of exciting, isn't it? Well, let's uh, see what we got here. So I'm going to reach in deep and pull one out here. And I've got uh, an interesting one here for you. So we are back to the wonderful world of Enterprise. Ooh, well, you'll be happy to know, my friend, that I have just recently completed Enterprise. So theoretically, I should have seen one of these movies, or sorry, one of these show episodes The only thing about Enterprise that I will say is that there are a lot of uber-generic titles. Uh, I think this one might qualify. So it's uh, Season 1, Episode 12. Okay. The title is Silent Enemy. And as usual, uh, if you'd like to play along with with us here on RTR, you can uh, hit the pause button and uh, grab a paper and a pencil and um, see what you can remember about... Silent Enemy, whether it's uh, the main plot, the secondary plot, some guest characters, good lines, a little bit of trivia, anything that you can remember about Silent Enemy. And while Andrew gathers his thoughts, I'm going to put one minute on the clock. All right. Well, I think I guess I got to, I guess I just kind of got to go with it. I'm going to have to take a little bit of a guess here. All right, he's going for it, folks. Uh, you ready? I'm ready. I feel like the episode that I'm thinking of is actually from a different season, which I don't want. I don't want another switcheroo. So, okay, I got okay. one minute on the clock. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, your time begins now. Okay, I believe that this episode is about a silent enemy. So, some sort of, uh, you know mysterious alien race is going to be affecting the enterprise i believe that it may be a situation where they uh are kind of uh taking control of different members of the enterprise um and doesn't seem like they're doing anything nefarious but then uh they actually do have more kind of uh bad intent to kind of injure the people it seems like they're not going to harm them but they do um it may also be that episode where um they kind of show people the crew um like kind of like paradisical kind of things but they're actually looking to find a host to input themselves like they're kind of not uh, comporeable beings um but i can't really remember um because there is a lot of vulcan stuff and a lot of things in that first season so i think that it's going to be just an enemy that is affecting them and your timer is done Hmm. Yeah, that's a very... I have no idea what episode this is, so um, I'll have to check it out after yeah. we finish recording here and see, see what we're up against. To be honest with you, there's a lot of episodes of Enterprise where there's just like an alien species that's kind of like mysterious in a way. How come I never get inner light? Well, it's luck of the draw, I guess. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what that I you know what the nice part about an episode called Silent Enemy is I know that I'm going to get one point at least. Well, I hope so. (laughs)
All right, well, that's all the time we have uh, this time around on RTR. Thanks so much for joining us, and I uh, hope you'll join us next time on RTR at the beginning of our second year as we uh, take a look at Silent Enemy. <laughs>